Hello, everybody. This is Keith Pannell, and welcome back to yet another program. We are UT El Paso. Today is a special day because it's the first day I get to actually talk to a faculty member as opposed to an administrator. And I couldn't think of anybody better to be an introduction to the talent and creativity that we have on campus than Professor of Music Dina K. Jones. Many of you will have seen her at concerts with the El Paso Symphony. She's the blonde that sits behind the piano. And Dina, welcome very much to We Are UT El Paso. Thank you so much, Keith. The nature of this program is to, in fact, let the audience know who are all these faculty. You know, what are they other than what they do? So I'd like to start, as usual, with all the other people that will be on this program following you. Um, When did you start knowing who Dina K. Jones was? How old were you when you saw a piano, for example? Mm. Well, I was four when I started lessons, but I think my parents saw, even like around three, um, this little girl who found uh, an electronic, it was not even a full-sized keyboard. It was such a gross-sounding thing, Keith. It was like this little organ that had these buttons to the left of it, and so it would, now I know when you push these buttons, it would make like this chord. And then, so I was so curious to push the button, so the, ugh, this like awful sound would come out. But then you could put little melodies over the top of it on this keyboard, and so I was doing all of this by ear. And so my parents were like, "Okay, this is maybe something that we should pay attention to." And so when I was four, my parents went to buy a piano, and I remember that I had to go with my parents to get that instrument. I was just so excited, and then it arrived, and my mom and I started to take lessons at the same time. Oh, so the, the, your parents didn't play an instrument? No, but my grandmother, that's where the organ was, in my grandmother's house. Right. So she was the one. She was, and I don't remember her playing piano keys. She kind of closed that chapter in her life. So this was just sort of fate, I think, you know, that it all progressed the way that it did. But yeah, we started to take lessons at the same time, and I passed my mom by like, (laughs) she (laughs) flexible fingers, darling. Yeah, the the lessons just progressed, and they progressed and progressed, and it was sort of evident, I think, from a very young age, that this was always going to be a part of who Dina was. So when you went to school, high school, whereabouts did you grow up? I'm from central Illinois, about three and a half hours south of Chicago. So you're a Midwesterner. Midwesterner, between Chicago and St. Louis. Okay. And cornfield land, yes. I've I've been there. Lots and (laughs) lots of corn. But anyway, so it was clear that once you sort of hooked into the piano, this was going to be something that you knew automatically was going to be with you. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Until about, oh, I want to say like middle school, the beginning of junior high or high school, I had always studied, Keith, and I just progressed a lot, and I did competitions and recitals, and, you know, it became just such a part of who I was that at some point I rebelled, and I thought I'm going to do something different. And so I told my parents that during this summer, 
I'm going to play softball. I'm going to play softball instead of taking piano lessons. And so I put that glove on, and I could actually hit, okay, but they put me in the outfield because I just was terrible. And I remember that somebody hit that base, that softball, and I was going to catch that pop fly, and then it, like, flew beyond my head, you know, and bounced behind me. I was so mortified. So that sort of took care of the rebellious stage. That was not you know, as successful for me as those competitions and piano recitals had turned out to be. It reminds me of a very <laughs> good friend of mine, Michael Davis. He passed away. He was a professor of chemistry, another Englishman. And and we would play these softball matches against graduate students. And he was always in the outfield, but he always had a, a, a <laughs> container of beer. And once he, the ball was hit towards him, and he was very studious. <laughs> he very carefully put the beer down on the ground, yeah. right, so it didn't spill, then looked up. And, of course, it's gone <laughs> over his head. He said, I'm not made for this game. <laughs> so similar idea. Okay, so we've, you've gone through a rebellion, and mm. then you realize, no, the piano uh, gave you much more than just competency but a lot of satisfaction and be creative. Do you, uh, did you ever at that stage begin improvising? Or was this always written music that you were playing? It was always written music that I was playing for my teachers. But I had an interest in popular music of the time, Americana music, folk music. I also played a lot at my church. So hymn arrangements. I had, I mean, I love jazz, so I always wanted to improvise. But I never had a chance to do that under formal training. So it's just even today a more amateur investigation of things. Okay. So you decided after high school, you carried on through high school, then you've got to go to college. So now what do you decide? Then is the big decision. Do you stick with music or do you find something else to make money of and et cetera? Yeah, that was the big decision, Keith. And it was a toss-up between journalism, because I loved writing, and music and piano. And so I worked with my high school teacher, who was really established in the field of music. She wanted me to try those auditions at the college level. Her name is Lydia Artemiu, and I was really fortunate to study with her. Boy, she helped me to get ready. And I had two auditions scheduled. One was at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. Big arts school. It's a private school and not very far away from my family. The other one was the big state school, the University of Illinois. So I remember, and that's a bigger program, you know. So I remember doing that audition just because I could. I still did not know if I wanted to do this with my life because I knew it was going to be a hard path to be a classical pianist And a musician, there's like no guarantee. And there are so many people out there that do that. And you have to practice so much. And I was sort of, I don't know. I knew I could do it, though. So I went in and I had a killer audition. It was fabulous. I could tell by the looks on the professor's Do you remember what did you play? Oh, gosh. Let's see. I do remember. I played a Mendelssohn Christmas piece. He had this 
little small set of Christmas pieces that were so charming. And a lot of people don't choose those. A Bach Prelude and Fugue. I think I played Beethoven Opus 2 Number 1, the first movement of the piano sonata in F minor. And then I think I did some Bartok, like really 20th century. How long does this take? It was like 15, 20 minutes, and they cut you off. You know, they hear. Okay, they put it off. Yeah, okay. thank you. Tick, you know. yeah. send her a yeah. <laughs> I could tell by the questions. I could see the looks on their faces. I knew I was in, and it was, like, very exciting. The adrenaline was really exciting for me. Now, which school was this? This is the University of Illinois, the big one. Okay. And so I got out in the hallway, and my mom was standing there waiting, and I had this huge smile on my face, and I said, Mom, cancel the audition at Millican. I'm going to the <laughs> U of I. I just... I knew it. Lovely. And so all of the signs afterwards started to be like, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. And then you went to graduate school at University of Arizona? No, I went to no? – well, I did. But I did my master's first, and I stayed at the U of I. Okay. And then I had a couple of years where I worked as a piano teacher north, so close – north of Chicago, actually. And that was a really interesting job because – it was a fine arts school, private little school, but in combination with art and all different types of instruments and stuff, and uh, a very small community. And I remember, Keith, there was a high school student. She had asked me to go to one of her concerts at the school, a choir concert. And I had to work at that school so late at night because kids would come for lessons, piano lessons, like from 3 until 9 o'clock sometimes, you know. That's whenever the they would be out of school. And so I went to her concert, but I was so late I didn't even get to hear her sing. And I stayed afterwards to tell her, that, show her that I was there to support her. She was so excited that I was there that it kind of, that's like the first time when I felt like, whoa, I've got a responsibility to a community here, you right. know. It's yep. not just teaching these students how to play the piano, that there really is, there are bonds that you form with people that kind of put their emotions out there to be able to study music. So uh, I was really young. That was like my first real So job. it made you realize that there was there was music, but then there were things you could do with it, like for community. But then what made you decide to go for a PhD? That school, I was teaching, like, so many students. It was like a little piano factory there. And a lot of the <laughs> students were young students. And I just felt, Keith, that I wanted to teach upper-level piano repertoire. I wanted to be teaching Beethoven sonatas. I wanted to be I, – I was still performing a lot there, but it was the teaching part that I was feeling like, okay, I could do this later. This this is something that I could do later. So I tried to get the DMA, is what it's called in music, DMA, and I, I wanted to go back and see if I would be able to get that so that I could get the college teaching position. guest today is Professor Dina K. Johns from the Department of Music, concert pianist, and we were hearing earlier how she was a bit of a rebel in school. She wanted to play softball once, but she got into the piano and all was well. So, Dina, <laughs> you know, you told us about your fascination with Spanish music, uh, tell us a little bit about Joaquin Rodrigo from your point of view. Well, when I first discovered him, there were not very many things written about his piano pieces. But, boy, the inspirational story that I got from his life. And there were a lot of things written about his personality, which was 
very humble personality, but one I think that was wanting to show the history of Spain. A lot of his music looks at the the history, the culture, um, so and sort of humanitarian perceptives because he was blind from the age of three and went through all of these challenges and overcame a lot, very successful within his lifetime. So the music is complex for a lot of reasons because of all those things that happened in his life. And I did all the study with the books, but then it was when I met his daughter, Cecilia, that this whole other world of who he was as a person opened up to me because of that first person account of... How did you get to meet Cecilia? I mean, you... So wild. There was a call for a Joaquin Rodrigo Music Festival, and I found it. And I don't know how I found it, Keith, because this was kind of... The internet was where it was, not where it is now. So it was kind of hard to find stuff. But I submitted a proposal... And I was the baby of the group because it was mostly professional people. And I was in graduate school. I was getting my doctorate degree. So um, not a baby baby, but the youngest of all the people there. And she came. She was there for this thing. It was at Winona State University in Minnesota. Winona, And she was there. And I just met her. I gave her a copy of my thesis across the table, the kitchen table. She said, who are you? I've never heard of you. Like, I didn't even know I could reach out to this woman. But she has been very open about her father wanting to educate people. And I said, well, I'm this, you know, I'm a student. I was a mousy little person. She, that thesis, Keith, was like 200 pages, which is a lot for a music thesis. Yeah, it's a lot for anybody. She started to flip through that thing. She said, Dina, this is history. It was like she became like my closest friend. Like this, this is history. We must have a picture. She just saw something so substantial there in this kind of you know insecure person. Um, and we've been really good friends, and she's been an advocate for my work ever since. And you, of course, have, have introduced his music, his piano music. Yeah. I know you published, I don't know if you call it published, you you, you marketed perhaps, I don't know what the word is, but a CD a few published. years ago yeah. on his, published, uh, on his music. And uh, what I'd like to do is play one of the key pieces from that. Okay. So the audience there today, it's not just Dina Jones' a mouth and, and conversation, <laughs> but you get an idea of the creative powers that you you bring to the job. So, Dennis, if you could just put it on for us, we'll listen to it and then make some conversation on the other side.
Well, I haven't heard that in a long time, oh. at least a week. It's, it's <laughs> literally the, the overall piece of music, the concierto, is one of my favorites. Mm. But so many different versions. But I noticed there that's a live performance. Where was it? That was a performance in one of the old historic churches in a little town called Vipiteno. It also has a German name, uh, Sterzing, in northern Italy. They have a music festival called the Orfeo Music Festival that runs every July. And I'm on the piano faculty there. And so I work with students for two weeks. And then we have concerts Every single night, so for two weeks. It's a great group of colleagues. The students are really excited to be there. I've been able, I've been fortunate enough, Keith, to take UTEP students with me every time that I've been. Okay, lovely. And so we bond through this and European travel. I mean, it's, it's other the, instruments too. Yeah, the festival is, is mostly voice, strings, and piano. There's some woodwinds there. And so I take piano students every year. That so that's a great asset for our students, our university. In it's fact. just a life-changing experience, I would say. Now, I noticed at the end there was applause. And yeah. tell me, from an artist's point of view, I know Glenn Gould, for example, disliked audiences. They got in the way. And he never played a piece complete anyway, right? He took little fragments that yeah. he thought were perfect and stitched them together. Yeah. Which... Do you prefer an audience? Yes, and I love <laughs> gosh, I sound like <laughs> and I love applause, but what I <laughs> I love about that applause from that recording, oh, it was like it was prolonged. So that piece is so transient, you know, it just speaks to, in so many different ways to so many different people and I really felt like the audience that day was with me. I feel like you could hear a pen drop during that performance. That was my first year to play at the music festival. I've been there like five years since then. So it was just special for so many reasons. And there's this big, long pause, like, oh, do we want to break this feeling that we're all sharing right now? And then finally, there's one person. It starts with one person kind of like breaking the whole thing. So yeah, it was a really special day, special time. Well, it's a, it's, it's a special place in history, if you like, for the University of Texas at El Paso. Mm-hmm. You know, you were there. Did you have students that time also I did. from here? I did. So let, let's just twist over a little. Part of our job as professors is to create. Well, we've just heard you creating. And, and the other part, of course, is to nurture, mentor, and teach. There's nothing wrong with the word teach. Students. Right. Now, in piano, this is going to be one-on-one, That's very right. much so. I mean, I can teach a class of 200, 30, 10, but, and one, obviously, but mostly it's multi-numbers. Yes. How do you do that? What, what's the bond that you have to have within a, a teacher? They have to trust you. Oh, they have to trust, and then, you know, you have to be a cheerleader sometimes because they have doubt, um, what else do you have? You have to be a chauffeur. You want to take them places within the city so they can do outreach and share their art. You have to be a coach so they can learn how to speak about. That's a really hard thing to do, actually, to speak about a piece of music and not from some kind of boring standpoint. Academic. Yeah. I almost said something else. Academic, thank you, Keith, standpoint. But, you know, that part can be very important for us in the field. But when you're talking to people, you have to 
And writing is another part of that. Being able to mix the the words so that, yes, you can talk to people educated and know about the piece, like you know, about the odd and with, or, you know, people that don't know anything, so that it's this combination. There's just, like, so many things to work on, how they dress, how they walk out on the stage, how they present their energy. Some of these things we do one-on-one, and some yeah. of these things we do in a class scenario. I remember too. once seeing Ellen Grimaud come onto the stage in Guanajuato, she just sort of sidled on. She was a yeah. slip of a woman right. <laughs> and sidled off. It was actually anticlimactic. The music it's, was wonderful. Yeah. So you have a master's program over in the Department of Music. We do. So the students that you train, um, the graduate students, yeah. right, what, what do they go out and do afterwards? Is the music just something that they are so happy to have for the rest of their lives? What do they actually earn a living? You know, it is a hard field, but... They go out and they earn a living. So with the master's, they can teach at the junior college level. So I've had students that have gone on to EPCC. Um, for the the ones that are really, really driven, they will apply for the Doctorate of Musical Arts program throughout the United States, various programs. I've had students that they're doctors as well. Um, and then, you know, some of them will get teaching positions, but some of them will go and have very successful Careers playing, composing. I've had students do all of this stuff, um, you know, different aspects of life, but they're always infiltrated with music. And they're earning a living and sharing their art. And I think relatively happy in this world. I think it's a really good... That's lovely. Fulfilling. Has have any of your ex-students written a piece of music for you? Yeah. Well, for the daughter, his daughter. But it was so charming. It was sort of asking my thoughts about it. And I said, he had it sort of all in his head. And then I said, i got to have this as an encore. Can I use this as an encore? But you've got to put it in finale is the program we use where they put it into written notation because I can't play it from his head, you know. And he did it. And so, yeah. I use that as an encore. Well, we just got a couple of moments left, uh, Dina, and you said something that you you prefer not to play by ear. Is, is does that take a special talent and training? Yeah, it's a different realm. So, and I can play by ear slightly, but there are people that dedicate their whole lives to, you know, imp- improvising on a melody or listening, and they can just go and and play really expanded translations of what they hear i'm not at that level i'm i'm at like a younger level of that so i do a little and those things those skills are important for um people that read music as well like i do okay one one final question because i'm thinking of leon fleischer Mm. he he used to make mistakes he didn't give a hoot you see that it's my performance have you ever made a mistake oh my Oh, my gosh. Like, everybody makes mistakes, Keith. Well, in public. <laughs> like, in public. I've tripped out the door before. Like, there's just, you know, there are 88 keys there. It's easy to miss one or two. But that's not the, that's not, you know, why we do what we do. I'd rather hear an impassioned performance yeah. by Leon Fleischer, whom I've heard many times live, yes. than somebody who plays everything like a machine gun and note perfect, right. but has no real connection to the music. You have a lot of connections to the music. You have a lot of connections to this university, a lot of connections to your students and a special place. Uh, And they've introduced us to some wonderful music. Dina Jones, Professor of Music, Concert Pianist, International Concert Pianist. It's been a delight chatting to you. 
Keith, the delight has been mine. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, for the listeners out there, this is just the first of our creative faculty at UT El Paso. And stay tuned. There's going to be many more.